You're listening to session six of Angel Insights brought to you by Syndicate Room. And what an amazing week it has been here at Syndicate Room. We've been featured in iTunes New and Noteworthy and we have broken into the podcast charts. However, the excitement doesn't stop there as I'm so excited to welcome Sonny Singh to Angel Insights today. Sonny is Chief Commercial Officer at BitPay. He was previously the Vice President of Sales at Jumio. He is an advisor at Lumia Capital and he is also a serial investor himself with investments in the likes of GetAround, Dashboard.io and Jumio. In today's incredible interview with Sonny, we discuss how angel investors should deal with missing out on investments, how active angel investors can be in their own investments, and what it's like to take a seed investment to the IPO stage. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you Sonny Singh. Sonny, welcome to Angel Insights. I'm delighted to have you here. Great. Thanks for having me. Now, can you kick us off today by telling us a little bit about you and your background and how you made your move into the investing world? Yeah, so uh, a lot of wrong and right turns, I guess, to end up where I got. Um, So yeah, so I moved out to Silicon Valley about 15 years ago and been involved in kind of startups ever since. And my background was in enterprise software companies, um, kind of as the first sales guy, enterprise sales guy, building up sales teams. And those are very long, complex sales cycles, you know, doing million-dollar software deals to companies, you know, Fortune 500 companies and all that. And after getting, you know, our companies, we sold one off to Microsoft. We sold one to Computer Associates. And they take a long time and a lot out of you. And after the last one we sold to Microsoft, I said, you know what, I'm not going to be involved with that anymore. And uh, my my good friend uh, Howard Winson is a well-known angel investor. He started investing in companies and started bringing me some deals. And the first deal he brought me was a small company called LifeLock, which was the ability to protect your online identity. And so he wanted me to invest in that. It was just five employees. And I said, geez, it's kind of an interesting idea, but I don't really understand it. I'm going to invest in a restaurant instead. And, <laughs> and the restaurant called District in San Francisco has done great. It's still in San Francisco. It does How's great. It? Yeah, per- great restaurant investment. It's a great restaurant. I made like 10% of my money back. It's awesome. So everyone's very proud of me. And LifeLock ended up going IPO and valued a billion dollars or whatever it may be. So instead of making 10% with District, I would have made about 200x at LifeLock. Ah. <laughs> so that, <laughs> well, at least that, you have a lovely restaurant. Yeah, so it's a great restaurant. So every time I go to that restaurant, everyone says, wow, you must be so proud of this investment. And I'm actually like, well, it's kind of the opportunity cost is a very expensive one for me. <laughs> and so that was my first foray into angel investing was a deal I passed on LifeLock. And did you and, have- did you have a strategy then when you started off? Uh, no. So then I said, yeah, let's follow Howard's next deal. And so Howard's next deal he brought me was a company started by Mike Lazaro doing Facebook currency called Acebucks or something like that. And I didn't really understand that one either. And so I passed on that deal in the seed round. And then the company ended up pivoting and created a new company called uh, Buddy Media, which ended up selling to Salesforce for $850 million around there. Oh. So I, I passed on that seed deal as well. So then my strategy became, okay, whatever Howard says, I just do from now on. <laughs> but, but, but really what happened was as I started, you know, introducing meeting with these companies, you know, they're all in the consumer space. A lot of them, the founders had no idea how to take that product to market and how to meet customers and gain customers and meet with and try to create a revenue model and all that. And that was kind of my specialty in the enterprise software world. So I brought that same sales methodology 
to all these startup companies, and they're completely, you know, they, they loved learning about how to sign up big brands and things like that. How do we charge them and all that? And so that's really the the value add I started having. And then they all wanted me to kind of join full time to run sales for them. And I said, no, I'd rather just invest myself or be an advisor. So I started doing it that way. Absolutely. And then now, do you do you still like to follow people or do you t- very much take your own route in investing? Uh, I do a combination. I, I still got a couple key angels I work with. Obviously, Howard's always dear and true to me. So I love working with him whenever possible, but I, I've, I've got, you know, I try to invest in deals where I can add value and help out in the biz dev side. That's really my specialty actually. And I also work very closely with a lot of venture firms as well too. I'm an advisor to Lumia Capital. Okay. And so we, they're, uh, they're investors in OpenDNS, which just sold to Cisco as well as Cabbage and Hinge and a couple other deals like that. So we kind of share deals a lot and help each other a lot so, with uh, finding and helping grow new companies. And how much of a role do you like to play? I mean, is it a daily uh, office job? Not office job, but is it a daily occurrence for you or is it a weekly? What is your position there, really? You know, I offer myself available, but mostly the, the, the founders, you know, they like to sit down with me initially to really help them build out a sales strategy, how to take it to market. I also help them train their head of sales or head of biz dev. And then I also do some intros to Fortune you know, 2000 companies I may know some people at. And then really, I just kind of get updates from them every couple weeks or month, and I'll come back and offer some advice here and there. And more, it becomes more about what intros can you bring to me and things like that. Once their pricing model and initial feet are off the ground doing sales, then I kind of just help out with some intros. And do you like as an investor being kept up to date with uh, kind of monthly newsletters or weekly newsletters? And if so, how often? And do you like it personalized? Yeah, so it, that is a, a very great question, actually. And, and having an inv- being an investor in about ten companies or so, you know, and being involved with many startup companies, the so one thing founders really need to do is you've got this great investor base that you have is to keep them updated. Actually, um, so, you should, so you should send out, you know, especially in the beginning, you know, a monthly email about how the company is doing, um, you know, what's going well, what's going bad. Where they could, where investors can help them actually, because that's why people invest is they want, they want to get be able to help them. So, but I can't help unless the customer, the client actually, the, the the startup actually asks me for help. So I need to know where they want help, and by getting those emails once a month, it keeps me up to date and all that. But but not every founder does that, and the ones that do it are the ones that become more effective. I see. And when when you're viewing startups then and startup opportunities, you mentioned obviously a few earlier. Do you look at metrics very much? Are you very metric driven, or are you much more of a founder driven investor? Yeah, so I, I'm more uh, founder driven actually. I find the metrics because again, I'm, I invest in seed rounds, and so they might not have even a product yet, or really, I mean, all the forecasts they have projected are probably going to be wrong anyways. So I really just look at you know what the idea is and what the founder's track record is, and kind of you know do I think they can do this. And what do you like to see in a founder then? Are there any commonalities of the great founders? Yeah, I, I like to see ones. I, I'm seeing a lot of kind of very young, arrogant kids right now that are, you know, think they're going to, their valuations to be extremely high and that there's never been a dot-com crash before and all that. So I like kids that have kind of been around the block a little bit that are more realistic because I think, uh, you know, everyone thinks they're going to disrupt the world, which is great. You need that mindset too. But you also need realistic to be looking at market conditions and that it might not be easy to raise money in the coming months or who knows what could happen. You have to have contingency plans too built in. And when you look at your portfolio now, do you see it's quite sector-specific? 
Yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, my background wasn't originally an enterprise, but as an angel investor to invest in enterprise, it's very hard because enterprise software companies raise, you know, $25 million initially in series A and B rounds and all that. And they take like six or seven years to finally sell out. And so you can't really add much value unless you're going to, you know, invest millions of dollars yourself. Um, so I find mo- most of my uh, portfolio is consumer driven. Um, and also they're much smaller companies so I can actually add in a lot more touch and feel and all that. And my money goes a lot farther, I find. And do you think sector knowledge is crucial for investing or, or not? Uh, yes and no. I mean, again, I... I mean, you know, that's some... why you didn't take the initial seed rounds with uh, Buddy Media and and what was the other one? LifeLock? LifeLock, right. But if I had invested in Buddy Media, if they needed my help, I would have been able to help them with my biz dev skills to help them get into the enterprise customers that they all eventually became with. Like, So Buddy Media became kind of the Facebook brand manager for all the Fortune 2000 clients. So I could have easily helped them with that, even though I didn't really understand how Facebook brand management at that time worked, they could have easily helped them get into Procter & Gamble and companies like that if they wanted to. Absolutely. And, and then do you, do you very much focus on geographies as well? We talked about sectors and being sector-specific. Are you very U.S.-based? Yeah, so I, I'm not only very U.S.-based, I'm actually very Silicon Valley-based, unfortunately, um, because I find that if you're going to be a startup company, I really think it just helps being in Silicon Valley. I, I, I often use the... The metaphor analogy that, you know, if you're going to be an actor or a movie star, you really need to be in Hollywood. It just makes your life that much easier. And I've helped out with a lot of star companies in London and all that, and I've advised some of them. And, you know, they've done great. But, again, I think it's just much easier to be in Silicon Valley because you're in that ecosystem where all the tier one venture capital firms are, all the Google, Facebooks, all your potential partners and acquisitions are here and things like that. And it's just a better ecosystem to be built in and uh, you know i'm here so i, I want to pr- provide more hands-on touch if i can and i can't do that if you're outside silicon valley and do you think angel investors do need to be close geographically to their investments i don't think they need to but again i'm a different one i like to be a little more hands-on and provide value so i like to meet with the people and really keep up to date um obviously not all the angel investors do that you know again i don't have a a portfolio of 100 angel companies. I have a portfolio of about 10 to 12, and I really take pride in those and really want to help out whenever possible. And you said about investing alongside people. Um, do you, what do you look for then when you're looking for a co-investor? Do they have any qualities or characteristics that you like to identify with? Yeah, so I like to I like to invest with people um, that a kind of have I trust that have done this before that can add some value. And also, I think the key thing is when you're doing seed investing, right, is will this company be able to get a Series A funding, right? That's most important. And, you know, I look at it from a point of view, I, I make that investment considering, you know, looking at if I was a VC, would I invest in this company in a Series A round? And if I don't think a VC is going to invest in a Series A round, then I'm not going to invest in the seed round, actually. And then do you have that uh, exit strategy in your head from the offset? Yes, not my exit strategy is: Will this company get Series A Tier One funding? And if they get that, then I know that the VC then will kind of take it from there and take it to the next level. And my role helping out becomes more peripheral. Uh, but my main goal is to take the company from Series A from seed to Series A, actually, and provide all the value needed to help them get Series A funding. And have you ever had the concern that when the the VCs come in at Series A, there's the potential for you to be pushed out as an angel? 
Yeah, so I do get deluded that it happens quite a bit, actually. Um, but but that's that's I know that going in, right? You know, I can't write those five million dollar checks to compete with the VCs, and that's fine because also the VCs provide more credibility and enable the company to grow a lot faster than any angels could do, anyways. And do you think the angel is very different from the VC? I mean, you provide uh, advice, support, connections. Is that not really what VCs provide, except just being larger pools of capital? Uh, in theory, that is what the VC should be doing too. But you know, not all VCs do that. Obviously, um, the last company I was involved with was called Jumio, and we raised about over fifty million dollars in funding. And our main investor was Andreessen Horowitz. Daniel Matz, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, Daniel's great guy. So I, I worked very closely with Andreessen Horowitz, and you know, they are just an awesome firm to work with. They were great. They helped provide a lot of benefit and biz dev and marketing contacts and strategic help and all that. And that's truly what a VC should do, and that's what they did, actually. But unfortunately, not all the VCs are like that or have the resources available. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's a huge problem. And, and then if it's okay with you, we're going to move into a quick fire round now where sure. I say a word or statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. Yep. So what is the best thing about angel investing? Uh, you know, watching companies grow. And being part of it? Yep. And yep. then... And then the hardest aspect. So, so I actually have a quick story. I don't know if that's part of the Yeah, no, no. Give a quick story. Like, go for it. Yeah, so I, uh, the first investment I ever did make, actually, was, again, through Howard Lindsay brought me a third deal, and it was called Tube Mogul. And Tube Mogul was two guys doing some kind of video analytics. And, again, I knew nothing about that space, but I'd already learned my lesson to go, not go against Howard. <laughs> and so I invested, and it was my first ever investment deal, actually, and then just last year, the company went IPO. Wow. He's done well for you. Yeah, he's done actually very well. So, <laughs> so that was great. So to watch a company go IPO and to say I was an investor when it was just two employees, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, that's that's it's phenomenal. Really cool. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, no, that would be a definite. Would you say that's a career highlight for you then? For investing, that that is that was great. Um, the only thing was, I actually didn't add much value to that one. <laughs> all, all the rest of the deals, I actually add a lot more value to. So uh, one company, uh, Estate Assist, I just I just invested in, and then I helped them raise more money from other uh, investors. And I've also worked out their whole biz dev strategy and go to market strategy. So it's really been great. I work very closely with the founder on that, Woody Levin, and the company's really gotten great traction. And eventually Howard Lindsay actually invested too. I got Howard into this deal. So it's kind of turnabout's fair play, I guess. And we hear about all these successes, but we often uh, fail to see the, the failures and the, the, the companies that go down in the portfolio. How do you deal with that when that does happen? Yeah, so uh, great question. So one of my companies, uh, yeah, I can't say the name of, but I invested in, you know, they told me that you know, they're not going to be able to raise a Series A funding actually and you know, they're going to close down. And so we tried to help them try to sell it off as an aqua hire so some, someone gets some money back, right? Sure. And more importantly, he's like, should we keep trying to make it work for the next five years and grind it out? And I'm like, you know what? If you can get an aqua hire and get your employees you know, taken care of and get yourselves taken care of and get some investor money back, just do it and move on. You know, Investors know going in that some deals will win or lose, right? Sure. And so, so you'd say kind of cut it there and get out. Yeah, eventually you have to, right? So, so one company, another company I invested in called Laughster, which out of uh, which is out of LA, it's one of the few investments I made out of Silicon Valley, and they're about you know, and they ended up pivoting two or three different times. And we told them, I said, listen, I told them, I said, if you lose the money, it's okay, take your shot at it. If it doesn't work, great, 
we lose our money and we move on. That's it. I get it. And they ended up pivoting now into a company called Narrative, which has now become Snapchat, a brand management for Snapchat, which has done very well, actually. Sure, yeah, and they love Narrative. Yeah. Oh, you know, so there you go. Yeah. That was originally called Laughter like two years ago. Well, there we go. No, no, no I, I'm sorry, I didn't know Laughter, but I know Narrative. <laughs> yeah, so that was a two-person company that was struggling for a year to do some kind of comedy, online comedy show. It wasn't going anywhere. He said, listen, it's not really working out. Try your best and whatever you can do. And he's like, nope. He came up with another idea and I said, go for it. Let's see how that works, right? And so when a, when a company maybe doesn't work and someone offers you to return the capital that you initially invested, do you always take the capital? Or if you believe in the entrepreneur, do you go, no, keep it and let's start another company together? Uh, well, I don't have – normally when the company doesn't work, you don't get the capital return so much. But like in an aqua hire when they do return some to investors or when they don't feel it's going to grow as well as it could or should? Yeah, so if an aqua hire happens and I get, let's say, 20% of my money back, you know, obviously I'm not too happy about it, but it happens, right? Yeah. And then depending on my experience with the entrepreneur, right, if I thought he had a good mindset and all that, I think you do learn from your failures, right? So he's obviously better off to start another company and to do better than he did before. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And then the hardest aspect of angel investing, what kind of troubles you on a daily basis? So uh, the, hard, the, the thing that troubles me now is I'm starting to see higher valuations now. Okay. And starting to see people raising money a lot quicker and with a lot. And, you know, everyone now is an angel investor, right? Yeah. So you can raise a million, two million dollars very fast when you might not deserve it. And everyone just has their name associated with it, you know, through things like AngelList now, right? And do you blame AngelList for that? I don't know if I blame it, but I'm seeing a lot more rounds happening a lot faster. And I feel like a lot of these celebrity angels are attaching their name to these angelist syndicates because they make money on that. So of they don't they get the carry, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah so they get all this carry on that and they just put their name on it and not much money and ends up raising a million dollars under their name, but they get all the carry with very little risk to it. Of so course. I'm, I'm kind of wondering how that means and the entrepreneur goes around saying so and so big name invested, you know, a million dollars through a syndicate when it turns out the the big name only invested, you know, thirty grand maybe or something like that, maybe. Of course, yeah, yeah. So it's quite a, a misapprehension. And the big, and the, and the person who's investing, they don't care about the company. They just want to get all the carry anyways and raise all this money from them. Okay. Not people that follow them. And then, what's your favorite angel investing resource, or blog, or book, or podcast? You know, I, I read a lot actually, and I follow a lot of stuff. So I, I you know, I obviously read things like TechCrunch Daily and all those tech pack magazines and all that. Um, you know, I check up on Angelus quite a bit. I also read a lot of blogs from like Fred Wilson, who's a VC. Absolutely. Um, other, other good friends like Howard Linden has a blog. Ian Sigalow from Graycroft has a blog. And people like that. I just have, I have different resources, not just in Silicon Valley, outside the people I trust and go to and I see new ideas and get their opinion, actually. Sure, absolutely. And, and then what, what is the most recent investment you've made and why did you say yes? So the most recent investment, again, is the one I just talked about, was a state assist. Okay. So I invested about nine months ago, and then I helped them raise money. Um, I had known the founder for a long time. He had just sold his last company, Bring It, to IGT. So we had a good exit on that. And so I kind of helped them with this new idea. And it was kind of similar concept to LifeLock. So I kind of already had some experience with it. And so I really helped them kind of build out the business development model, helped them with some hiring. And really kind of acted as a chief advisor to him on many, on many different fronts, actually. And the company now, they raised a $2 million seed round and has been doing great, actually. 
And then finally, what is the day in the life of an angel investor, Sonny Singh? <laughs> well, I actually have a day job. <laughs> so okay. I'm, one the, I'm one of the angel investors that kind of does that on the side, so to speak. But I think my day job helps me out with the angel investing. So I'm currently the chief commercial officer of BitPay, which is one of the largest Bitcoin companies in the world. So I run a sales and business dev team, about 12 people globally, and we raise a $30 million Series A funding from uh, Founders Fund, Index Ventures, Richard Branson, Felicis Ventures, uh, Lee Kasheng, Jerry Yang. So a great group of investors who I keep working with very closely. And so when I help out with my angel investments, I can help them intros into all these VC firms I have great relationships with as well. And do you think angels can still provide then great value with day jobs? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it helps. I mean, to be a full-time angel is a little tricky because, you know, again, you don't get paid right away in a lot of these deals anyways, right? Sure, absolutely. No, it can take, you know, seven, ten years. Look at your one that IPO'd recently. Exactly. So seven years later, I finally got paid on that one, right? <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Sonny. It's been an absolute blast having you. No, good fun. Cheers. Thanks very much. And as always, there will be an article on the contents of today's interview with Sonny, and you can find this at the Syndicate Room website at www.syndicateroom.com. And if you are loving the show, we would be so grateful to hear what you think, and you can tweet us at Syndicate Room, or you could leave a review on iTunes, which makes a huge difference, and we would be so grateful. But thank you so much for listening to today's interview with Sonny, and we can't wait to see you in the next episode.